Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're going to jump in, and uh, I want to talk about something. Um, well, we just finished the book of Bracious, and um, there's, there's something very interesting about this, this last Parsha, Parsha's Vayechi, um, that's unique in the entire Torah. It's called Parsha's Stuma, which means a closed Parsha. And um, it's a topic that I've been looking into um, more lately, which is fascinating to me, which is this whole concept of the white spaces in the Torah. Now, in general, by the way, we say that the Torah is black fire written on white fire. The black fire is the letter, and the white fire is the, is, is the white spaces around it. Now, that's very, very, very deep, and we're not going to go into it right now, but w- one thing that it should just alert you to is that when you um, try to conceptualize what the Torah is, or even just on the, on the most um, here and now level, what a Torah scroll is, you shouldn't think that the white space is just empty space, or it's just the paper that the Torah is written on. It's black fire on white fire. The, the, the white of the Torah is very, very significant. And one of the places that we really see this, and Rashi brings it out um, explicitly in, I think it's his second comment at the beginning of Sefer Vayikra in the book of Leviticus, he tells you that when you have elongated white spaces within the chunks of written text, those elongated white spaces are periods where God gave Moshe time to think about what had just been said. So there literally breaks in the Torah, meaning to say, like, let's take a break. Let's, oh, we've got to mull that over. We've got to think about that. Or if you want to put it in mar- modern parlance, it's where Moshe, so to speak, had his mind blown. You know, where it's like, wait, 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 wait. I've got I to gotta absorb what that is. Okay? Now, about a month ago or so, we talked about another unique case. We're not going to go into it right now. Uh, I think we called the class, if you want to look it up, No Time for Anything, which was, there's one Parsha in the whole Torah where from the beginning of the Parsha to the end of the Parsha, there's no white spaces in the entire Parsha. And that's talking about um, uh, Jacob's, Yaakov's uh, journeys and, and battles and, and all the rest. So like a lot of the, like the really the, the nitty gritty of, 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 of all the challenges that he faced in life. And there are no white spaces. And what I wanted to say on that, it's sort of my thought, but the idea that, um, that what's there to think about? In other, words, in other words, sometimes you need that white space because you've heard an idea which is like, wow, I've got to, I've got to absorb that idea. But you know something? The idea that your life is incredibly busy and challenging yeah, that's basic. You don't need any time to contemplate that idea. That's just a basic fact of life. Okay. Now I saved you the trouble of listening to that old class, if you weren't there for that. But there's more of that one. But anyway, moving on. There's another famous absence of white space, more famous than the one I just mentioned, which is between the last Parsha of Breshis, called Vayechi, and the second-to-last Parsha, Vayigash. Now, there's a rule in the Torah, and it's, there, there are 54, 53, 54. There are 54 Parshas in the Torah, 
And some people say that two of the last ones are, are one, and the reason why one of the reasons why they like to say that is because then you get fifty three, which is um, Gan, because the Torah is like Gan Eden, it's the Gematria of Garden, right? But technically, they're really fifty four parshas. But if you ask some people, they'll say fifty three, but they're really fifty four. But anyway, now you know why they say fifty three. All right, getting back to the topic. So, so between all of them except one, between all of the parshas, there's a long white space. Between every single parsha in the entire Torah except the one that we just did, and it's called parsha stuma. Stuma means closed. Now, there's a lot said on this, but I want to say some new things on this subject, some kind of cool things. Um, but for the most part, you know... Well, let me just tell you the, basic, the basics on it. Interestingly, what, what, how does Parshish Vayechi begin? Basically, Yaakov Avinu wants to tell us when Mashiach is coming. The date of Mashiach. And what happened? Hashem took away his Ruch HaKodesh, which is like a form of prophecy, took away his prophecy at that moment, so that Yaakov could not reveal the date that Mashiach would have come, is going to come. And so that's why it's closed, because it's, it's taking away, took away this thing, okay? Interesting, interesting, interesting. That is the classic, that is the classic I'd like to say something else. See, see the beginning of Parshas Vayechi, it's not just that Yaakov wants to announce when Mashiach is coming. It's also part and parcel with the idea of Mashiach coming. In other words, it really represents the time of Mashiach. This idea that the world will be perfected. See, you know, there's a point which, um, it's funny, I, I had made it earlier and independently, and, and I was so glad to hear Rabbi Green say it uh, during his, his, his trip that just ended here in Los Angeles. You know, we Jews, we are, are huge believers in evolution. Huge, huge, huge believers in evolution. But when we talk about evolution, you know, apart from whatever opinions we have in the Darwinian sense of it, we have a much more profound understanding of what, what evolution is all about. Evolution is about the development of the world. The evolution, the evolving of the world, the evolving of people in this world, the evolving of humanity. And of course, all leading up to the perfection of the world itself. That is the true evolution that's going on. You know? Sometimes you meet people, I've been privileged to meet many people like this, where you meet them at one stage in their life, and then you meet them at another stage of their life, and they've evolved. They have re- they've truly evolved. There's no way. They're nicer. They're better. They're smarter. You know, so, so, so we see it with our own eyes. So the world itself is going to evolve. And what, what, um, what Yaakov Avinu is talking about is this concept of Mashiach. You know, one of the really unfortunate things that baffles a lot of Jews is this concept of the Messiah, because 
it seems to have been co-opted by another religion in particular. Right? But we've been talking about Mashiach since the beginning of time. You know, we have a fundamental disagreement about whether he came or not. He hasn't come. And one of the great proofs of that is that, look at the world. Does this look like a world where Mashiach already came? You know, by the way, the Ramban made that argument. You know, there was a period of time, a very unfortunate period, where they would make Jews publicly debate other religions. And, you know, that's not, that's not really our thing, you know. And, but they would make them. And the king of Argon, I think I'm pronouncing his name properly, you know, made the Ramban participate in one of these debates. And, um, and they put up their top guy. And the Ramban made this point. He said, does this look like a... God save us! If this is a world, look around you, that the Messiah already arrived in. And the king was not allowed to proclaim <laughs> the Jews the winner of that debate, as you can well imagine. And so what he said was, um, what he said to the Ramban was, here's 500 gold coins. You must leave the country immediately. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> in fact, there's there's some great quotes, and that's uh, a very interesting chapter in history if you want to look at it more. But anyway, moving on. So, so the time of our fixing, the time of our fixing. That's what Yaakov Avinu is talking about. This ideal. And Rabbi Wolfson said something absolutely unbelievable, just super beautiful. He says, you know, interestingly, in, in Gomorrah Sanhedrin, it talks about some of the signs that are going to be when Mashiach comes. And a lot of the, a lot of the things that it talks about are, are like people are going to have increasingly bad mitos, bad personality traits, bad character traits, and things like that. And, and they give other signs as well. And Rabbi Wilson makes a very, very interesting point. He says, and actually it's the Gomorrah's point, if you think about it, which is that as it looks like society is really going into the pits, that strangely that's something that can give you hope. In other words, that, that should cause despair. What's happening to the world? It's falling apart. But that actually is something that simultaneously can give you hope because they've singled out some of these very things that shows society devolving as, as a sign that Mashiach is coming. He says, but what's the counterside of that? Is that people's eyes are closed to that aspect of it. Because people have a closed heart. So we're using this we're very deliberately right now. Remember we said Parsha's stuma means a closed Parsha because that white space isn't there. Right? And we talk about it as a sign of Mashiach. Now, listen to this. One of my all-time favorite gematrias. An incredible gematria. Incredible. Rabbi Wilson says, Parsha's stuma. Okay? 
That's the gematria of these words. Hine anochi sholeach lechem es Eliyah Behold, on that day I'm going to bring you Elijah the prophet who will announce the coming of Mashiach. Right? And when... Now that's a short period of time, by the way. I didn't realize this. But it's three days between Eliyahu's announcement and the Mashiach's arrival. So... That's quite, quite amazing. So in other words, it's, it's not just talking about the announcement of Mashiach, it's talking about really the arrival of Mashiach, you know? Give or take a few hours, okay? So, so, so it's a time of closed hearts right now. Right? That's the stuma, the, is, is the closed heart. But Hashem is going to open up our hearts. You know, it's one of the... The amazing things that's going to happen. You see, Rabbi Ari Kaplan talks about this. A very, very interesting idea. We think of our central nervous system. Now, when you, that, that's really the brain and the, the spinal cord. As that's, that's kind of like what keeps the body going, what keeps the brain communicating with all of the limbs and everything like that. The central nervous system. You don't want to damage that. That's your, that's your motherboard, right? In, in terms of computers. You know, that's, that you want to protect. That's what keeps you a sentient being. And we think that that's, that's the, 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 the mechanism through which one becomes highly intelligent and highly aware. And, and one would think that the better your central nervous system is operating, the more you're absorbing and taking in. Right? That's what you would think. Okay? Why? Why would you think that? Because if, God forbid, it got damaged it would shut off your ability to ab- absorb. But Rabbi Kaplan says something, <laughs> something else. Okay, everything I just said is, is correct, except for one thing. He says that the central nervous system, in addition to allowing you to function and absorb information and process it and have the, the, the brain communicate with the rest of the body, it actually blocks out information. It blocks out information. Why? He says, imagine... I don't know if he gave this example. I think he did. Imagine if... I don't know if any of you um, have lived in New York City or had that experience, but to give you one, one example, if you ever rode the subways, can you imagine if for the rest of the day you remembered every single face that you saw in the subway system, every sign that you looked at? Right? Like, I don't know if you know anything about film, right? But... When you see shots in a, in a film, bless him, that's like when, when, when the editor, the director, whatever it is, includes a shot in, the, in a film, that's, a, that's okay, well, we set up our cameras and we pointed it in that direction and we want to put that in the film, okay? Now, you can only put so many different camera angles in one scene without making the audience dizzy. But imagine if your eyes and your brain are a camera... As you walk through life, imagine how many different scenes, how many different visuals are there. Can you imagine if they all went into the final cut? In other words, if you remembered every single face you saw throughout your entire life and they were all in front of you in one moment, every single thing your eyes ever laid eyes on, all in your intelligence at one moment and you could see it all like whatever, like the apple you're holding in your hand, you'd go crazy. You'd go Insane! You'd go insane. There's no question about it. So therefore, imagine this. 
the role of the central nervous system is not just to take in information, but also to block out information. So, okay. So now, so we have this correlation between hearts being closed, but the hearts are going to be open. And that's, that's why I wanted to make this point. You see, human beings are going to evolve to the next stage. We have another extremely exciting stage in our lives coming up, hopefully soon. Actually, a couple more stages. One of the amazing things that's going to happen to us is that this orla, which is like a covering, it's like a covering, it's like a blockage. This, we have orlas on our hearts. God made us this way. Have you ever put a toner cartridge into a printer? Have you ever done that? Well, I, it does, you know, you don't do it that often. But whenever I do it, there's something very exciting that you do when you pull out that ribbon. Do you know what I'm talking about? You pull out that ribbon, and then it's like all the ink can come out. So we've got this covering on top of our hearts, this orla. God promises us that he's going to take this orla off of our hearts, and do you know what's going to happen to our ability to perceive? You see, we usually talk about it in the opposite way. So I want to give this example. Usually we're making another point with this example, but I want to use this example to illustrate an opposite point. The point is, is that we don't see everything that's going Our eyes actually perceive very little of what's going on in the universe. We see one piece in the puzzle. So I heard this example from Reb Shlomo, I always liked it, which is he said, imagine this world is basically like you're looking through a keyhole and through the keyhole you see someone with a, like a, a knife raised, a blade raised, and he's, he's going to stab someone and you think a murder is about to take place. And what's really going on? It's an operating room. And that, and that person's life is going to be saved. But you, you, you can't tell from the little that you're seeing. So this world, you just see a little bit so you don't know. But can you imagine when our hearts are circumcised, what we're going to be able to perceive? This is going to be, this is awesome. This is awesome. This will be the next stage of humanity. This is awesome. You know, people say it a different way also, which is, actually, they don't, they're not consciously making this point, but and I actually, I think in the scientific community, this, this fact is a little bit up for grabs right now. But anyway, how much of the, our brain are we actually using? So, so there's been, in popular science anyway, the notion that we're actually using a tiny portion of our brain. So can you imagine, and then look what we can do. We can fly to the moon and, 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 and solve all sorts of insane problems, you know, with a tiny portion of our brain. So this is the same idea as the circumcising of the heart. If all of a sudden God gives us full access to our brains, holy smokes! I mean, I, I don't even know what we're going to be able to perceive, but we're going, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. 
So that awaits us. When does that await us? Okay, well, I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly where the circumcising of the heart fits in. But, it's sort of part and parcel, more or less, with another stage in humanity, which is an essential Jewish belief. And they say, if you don't believe this, you don't have a share in the world to come. You know, people don't talk about this too much, which is why I love to say it. We say the dead are going to crawl out of their graves. En masse. Not like, hey, that guy crawled out of his grave. Like, big deal. We're all going to crawl out of our graves. It's called Tachias Amesim, the resurrection of the dead. A core Jewish belief. En masse. That's going to be so cool. You know, I remember a story. I was once in shul, and um, someone, a photographer, was trying to do some business, and he was trying to sell some of his um, prints. And uh, they were prints of uh, graves that he had taken. (laughs) And I, you know, I always think that that's kind of a funny thing, because, you know, especially once you get a little bit more uh, observant and a little bit more knowledgeable about the Torah and everything like that. Everyone at some point goes on vacation to Israel, and what do they do? They go grave hopping, you know? It's kind of a funny thing, you know? It's like, if you think about it, in, you know, you go from grave to grave of holy men, right? You know, after a few years, that doesn't sound strange at all. You think, oh, well, of course, you know, you pray at the various farms, various graves, and of course that's what you would do. But, you know, if you tell that to someone who doesn't know anything, that where are you going to go? You're going to tour various graves? That's your vacation? And you're going to have a good time doing it? You know? Sounds a little bit strange. Anyway, so, so I was with a little boy who I did not. I, I, I wouldn't... I don't know who he was exactly, but he was in shul at the time, and we were both looking at this grave, this picture, this photograph, and I said to him, do you like this picture? He said, yeah. I said, so do I. I said, it's beautiful, isn't it? He said, yeah. I said, do you know why we think it's beautiful? And he said, why? And I said, because we know that the guy in there is going to get out of there. I think he was just eight at the time. I'm not sure what he thought of that explanation, but he kind of nodded his head, you know. Um, Okay, so why are we talking about this? For a good reason. Believe it or not, we're on the subject. Um, I want to say the following. And uh, usually all these things don't tie in together. But... But I've actually been developing one particular point, which is that uh, it says in the Gomorrah, it says in the Gomorrah that there are certain things that happen when you're not thinking about them. It just happens. And believe it or not, one of the things, it lists three things, one of the things that it lists that just happens when you don't have das at the time, not thinking about it, is the arrival of Mashiach. 
And if you want to know the context of it, I think it's in Sanhedrin 97 around there. If you, if you want to know the context of it, they're talking about calculating dates of when the Messiah is going to arrive. So then they talk about how that may actually delay the arrival of the Mashiach. And they say that one of the things that happens when you're not thinking about it is the coming of Mashiach. So now with this in mind, I want to show how this is an illustration of that principle from the Gomorrah. Because what did we say? That the beginning of Parsha's Vayachi, this Parsha's Stuma, this closed thing, correlates with... Right? Parsha's Stuma is the Gematria of Hine Anochi Sholeach Lechem Es Eliyah Hanavi. By the way, it's not in that Pasuk, interestingly, just as a side note, it's not Eliyahu Hanavi. It's Eliyah Hanavi. There are five places in the Torah, in the Tanakh, where Eliyahu is spelled without a vav, so it's pronounced Eliyah, and five places in the Torah where Yaakov is spelled with a vav. So it says that Yaakov is keeping the five vavs of Eliyahu till he comes. It's like, you want your vav back? You better come. <laughs> so... Anyway, I think we had a talk one time where we went through all five cases. That was fun. Um, anyway. So isn't it interesting? What did we just say? We said that that white space means time to think. And we said that the beginning of Vayachi is talking about Mashiach, the coming of Mashiach. And what do you see? There's no white space there. What does the Gomorrah say? One of the things that comes when there's when you're not thinking about it, is Mashiach. Is everyone here? Okay. That's, that, that came to me on Shabbos. Um, let's go a little bit further. So then I thought to myself, well, if you have such an unusual, such a unique joining of two Parshas together, it's the only instance of this in the entire Torah, right? What's the last word of the previous Parsha and the first word of this Parsha? Because those two words shouldn't be together. There should be a long white space between them, right? And yet, because the white space is taken out, these two words have been joined. Does everyone hear the question? So I thought, oh, i got to check it out, man. What's, what two words have been joined? So we know Vayechi. That's the first word of, of the Parsha. So, and that means he will live, right? Or he lived. It's a reversing vav. But it's talking about life. Okay. So the last word of the previous parsha is ma'od. Now ma'od means very. Right? Like I, I, I like to give this explanation. It says v'yahavta, you should love God, right? It says that, um, oh my goodness, it's late. Oh, i got to run. Alright, we'll tie it up fast. So uh, it says um, it says v'yahavta First we say Shema. You know, by the way, we say Shema Yisrael, Shema Lokeinu, Shema Echad. That was added by the sages. Okay? If you look in the Torah scroll, it says Shema Yisrael, Shema Lokeinu, Shema Echad. And then the next word in the Torah is V'yahafta. Just so you know. Because, which means you should love. You shall love. And I've made the point, but it's very important to know, if you want the whole system of Torah to work, it's got to be based on love. You've got to love. If you want to realize the oneness of God, 
If you want to do the mitzvahs, it's got to come from a place of love. It has to. Okay, also there's Yira, and that's a whole other conversation. But the first word after the Shema and the oneness of God, the very first word is, you shall love. So that's, that's not an accident. That's not an accident. Okay. You should love with all of your heart. With all of your soul. It means that even giving up your life for God. Now the standard translation of me'odecha, it means ma'od. It's ma'od. You hear the word me'odecha? It means with all of your strength. And Rashi says with all of your money. But by the way, there are halakhas on that. You only have to give up X amount of money for a mitzvah. But certain mitzvahs you have to... In other words, in order not to violate the Torah, you have to be willing to give up all your money. But in order to do a particular mitzvah, the most you have to spend of your money is 20%. So if there's an esrig, say, and that esrig is going to cost more than 20% of all of your money, talk to a rabbi. <laughs> okay? But, I, that's the classic thing. I always want to give the classic explanation before I give my own uh, thought. With all of your veriness. In other words, with all of your passion. Right? Because me'od means very. With all your me'odecha. Okay. So now listen to this. Ma'od, if you rearrange the letters, it spells Adam. What two things have been fused together? The word living, Vayechi, right? And the word Adam, or very. So, so what happened when Adam and Chava ate from the tree? What did they bring into the world? Death. So you see, this area, which is talking about Mashiach, And when we say Mashiach, we're talking about all these aspects, including the resurrection of the dead. The disappearance of death from the world. What two words uniquely in the entire Torah are being fused together? This word Ma'od, which is the same letters of Adam, and he's going to live. In other words, the idea of mankind and eternal life are being fused together right here. Does everyone see that? So then I thought to myself, alright, let's take it to the next step. What is Ma'od and Vayechi add up to when you put them together? <laughs> so the answer is 79. So I looked in my handy-dandy Gematria books by, by, uh, by Gil Locks and... Uh, I looked up number 79, and it's mital, is in the Chumash. Mital means from the dew. You know what our sages teach us, how Hashem is going to resurrect the dead? With dew. And so when you fuse together that last word, which is the letters Adam and life, and put it together, it spells out the word for dew, mital, from tal, which is how God is going to resurrect the dead. Now, I want to look at this word Vayichi more closely as well. 
Vayechi is, is a very interesting word because really it's the same word as Vayehi only I mean it's a different word Vayehi means um, and it was or, or it will be whatever it is but Vayehi uh, the Gomorrah says portends bad um, and we we know we see the word Vayehi uh, at um in the beginning of the Megillah when it's talking about the bad times that are coming in the Gomorrah talks about this in Megillah so here we have the word Vayechi exact same sequence of letters except the He of Vayechi is turned into a Ches Vayechi and we're saying that the word Vayechi is actually an extremely positive word that it's 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 in the Bechina, it's in the category of Mashiach. So here we see this uh, very interesting transformation from Vayehi, which portends uh, negative things, to Vayehi, which is a, an ultimate fixing. So let's concentrate for a moment on this transformation of the He into a Ches. So I want to say something deep, which is that if you look in the Gomorrah, I believe it's in Menachos, it says that Hashem created the world this world with the letter He. And if you um, know how a He is written, you know that uh, the, 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 the bottom of the letter He is, is, is open. Uh, and the sages say that's because the, the Rishayim, the wicked ones, will, will fall, will drop. So how can they get back? Because the letter He also has an opening between um, the top of the letter He and the and the next line that's drawn down, there's a little opening so that they can crawl back in. They can climb back in. Because there's always tshuva, there's always repentance. So what happens when the letter He gets transformed into the letter Ches? That opening disappears. Now that sounds like maybe it's a bad thing. Ah, but no, no. It's much deeper than that. Because we're saying, Vayechi is hinting at the times of Mashiach. So there's no opening there because there will be no need for tshuva because mankind will be perfect. So that little entranceway for tshuva, it's not necessary. It's sealed up. Ah, so in other words, right now the gates, the gates of tshuva are still open. We can still do tshuva. And there will come a time when it won't be necessary. And so the gate will be closed. The hay will turn into a chess. Now, there's another famous Torah. Well, I don't want to say another famous Torah. This Torah isn't famous yet. <laughs> but there is a famous Torah about He and Ches that I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon, which says that the words um, Matzah and Chametz, which are really, spiritually speaking, total opposites, Matzah and Chametz, um, are really the same letters. And, and um, we know, uh, so how could that be? He says, well, he says, not exactly the same letters. The hay of matzah gets, if, if it becomes a ches, then it's chametz. And uh, he says further, something so awesome. You know that, what is chametz? It's, 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 uh, it's, it's leavened bread, it's bread that rose. So that little line of the hay rises up and becomes you know, goes to the top 
and that little opening gets sealed up and so the hay becomes a ches that's the, the rising of the bread the leavening of the bread and so matzah becomes chametz ok so we know chametz relative to matzah and pesach chametz stands for all sorts of negative things all the negativity of the world really aha so if that's the case then we have a question right now we're saying that when you go from Vayihi to Vayichi, that He to the Ches is a very positive transformation, spiritually speaking, because it's, it's showing on the perfection of the world. So now, here I have a Torah from the Vilna Gon that shows that the He going into a Ches, Matz into Chametz, it's, it's spiritually speaking, it's a negative thing. So why here it's positive, why here it's negative? Okay, so I want to address that. So the truth is, is that Hametz on Pesach is negative. There's no question about it. It's an Israkaris. Can't do it. Can't have it. Can't have it in your household. Can't even be seen. Has to be burned. Get rid of it. But that's on Pesach. Everybody knows that when it comes Shavuos time, right, 50 days from Pesach and Shavuos, not only is chametz, not only is bread, spiritually speaking, a, a positive thing. Say, ein kemach, in Torah, right? Without bread, there's no, there's no Torah. But, it's actually part of the korbonos, the, the offerings in the Holy Temple for the four Shavuos, which is talking about the giving of the Torah, where we're celebrating the receiving of the Torah. And it's the the alechem, the two loaves of bread that are brought. They're not actually put on the altar. They're placed next to the altar. But it's part of the korbonos, part of the holy offerings. Aha. So we see bread in its proper time. Shows on completion. Bread in its proper, proper time shows on completion. And so the world is developing also. The world is also developing. And so the Vayahi will become Vayahi, just like Pesach Tishvus. That will be the full, the full development of the world. And at that point, that rising of the He to Aches will be an, an, an optimal spiritual Mila, a very, very positive thing. Now, how else do we see that Vayechi shows on Mashiach? So, because Sefer Breshis, Vayechi is the last chapter, uh, the last portion in, in the book of uh, Genesis, in Sefer Breshis. And Sefer Breshis is a, is a microcosm of the, uh, of the history of the world, I want to say. Because we know the world is still in the process of being created. I heard from Rabbi Tatz in the name of the Zohar that it says, in the beginning, Breshis bara, in the beginning, God created. The very fact that you have the word beginning means that it's talking about a process that's taking place. And so that process culminates. And we see a little hint to it, I want to say, that the first letter of Breshis, of the of, of, of the idea of that the book of Breshis is a, is a complete unit. 
The first letter of Breshis is the letter Bez, and the last letter of Sefer Breshis is the letter Mem, and that spells Bum. It also is a hint of the Kola Torah Kula, of the entirety of the Torah. Because the Beis is the base of Breshis, which represents the written Torah, and the Mem is the first letter. It's also the last letter of the Torah, of the Talmud. Me'emosai, or Shalom. Um, and so you see that, and, and that's of the Talmud. So the Torah Shabbat Peh. So between these two letters, we have the entirety of the Torah. So here we see a sign of completion. Not only that, but we have twelve separate parshas in Breshis. And twelve is a complete number. This is, as we know, the, the twelve tribes. This is a, a whole idea of completion. And I saw somewhere that the number eleven represents the Yitzhahara. So we know it's only because the Nachash, the snake, came to Adam that he ate from the tree. So the eleventh parsha is Vayigash, ending with the word Ma'od, death, which the snake really brought into the world through Adam. So eleven represents the Yitzhahara, but we see the eleventh blossoming like the, like the bread leavening. The eleven fusing into the twelve, which is completion, which is Vayachi, which is Mashiach. So... So maybe we'll just wrap it up right now um, with, with one of the all-time great words from the Kutzker Rebbe. Kutzker Rebbe says, you know, it's a very big miracle to resurrect the dead. He says, you know what's an even bigger miracle? To resurrect the living. You know? when we're alive and we're walking around and we're dead inside or when we're imprisoned by our own fear which is another form of death we want to do something we want to but we can't it's it's another taste of death so Hashem should bless us that during this period where we're actually alive where we can actually do something I, I once heard Rabbi Green says something pretty amazing. He said, you know what happens if a, uh, an angel, so to speak, were to push over a chair? You know what would happen to the chair? Nothing. The chair would remain upright. In other words, the idea that you can actually participate in the cause and effect of this world, where you can smile at someone, and they weren't smiling before, but because you smiled at them, even if you don't know them, they smile back, that you can precipitate a reaction in this world and cause a change in this world for the good, that's unique. That's unique to us. It's unique to us. That's an awesome thing that we can, you know, just put love out there, you know? You know, I guess I was sort of born smiling. I don't know. I like. I guess I just smile kind of naturally. I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I do know that about a month ago I was walking down the street and someone... I was just walking down the street. I don't know, even know what I was doing. Just walking. 
And someone stopped their car and yelled out, I like your smile! <laughs> I was like, all right! <laughs> all right, everyone, have a great week. <laughs>